Welcome, FC Dallas Curious fan, to Third Degree, the podcast. This is episode 63. We're going to talk about our continuation of our FC Dallas history. This is the 2015 to 2020 session. It's part five, although part four with Kevin was broken into two pieces because Kevin being Kevin, it got a little long. Today's special guest is uh, special and not special at the same time. He's special because he's a soccer knowledgeable fellow that is... Uh, been around FCD for a fair amount of time, specifically the section we're going to talk about today. He's not special ever because it's our usual contributor, Dan Crook. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we had you on. We're back. Wow. We're uh, back. Hi, Buzz. I'm, I'm calling in from Orlando where I've just been banned from Disney World after asking too many questions about the Orlando plan. <laughs> the Orlando plan. <laughs> yeah, listen, the Orlando plan is special because it's funny. Even yesterday when I paraphrased Lucci, and use the word when instead of if Lucci actually contacted me. He's like, you got to change that because they're really, really sensitive in major league soccer about this plan being official or not uh, until the players sign off of it. It's, it's really odd how uh, worried they seem to be and how uptight they seem to be about this whole thing. All right, let's, let's not dwell on the Orlando thing because that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about FC Dallas history. And if you were with us last time, uh, Dan, I know you listened to the podcast with Kevin. I, I listened to it again, as I always do. In 2014, uh, Pereja was cycling through all of his options, trying to figure out who he could count on. The stats that back that up, if, if you heard that podcast, the stat was there was 23 players who played in 10 or more games, but only two of them got to 30 games. And that was Javon Watson and Matt Hedges, which shows you that there were a whole bunch of players that played in the teens and in the low twenties that were, as he looked for combinations and guys that he could trust. So towards the end of the season, they start clicking and and FCD gets into the playoffs and they beat Vancouver, but then falls to uh, Seattle, which is the bogey team these days in the playoffs. All right. So, at the end of the season, Dan, I'm sure you remember, we're starting to see signs of Mauro Diaz being a good piece. This is going into 2015. Fabian Castillo is peaking. Zach Lloyd and Hedges are relied on pretty heavily in the defense. Ryan Hollingshead finally comes into town and plays. Um, you know, But things are not in a full rebuild mode at that point, are they, when we're coming into 2015? It's more of just a Preha's looking to tweak his team again. Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. There was definitely uh, a changing of the guard at the back. You know, uh, Ralph Fernandez had come in to replace Hartman. He, you know, that coming out of 2014, he departs. George Johns obviously got his uh, bone bruise in his knee. That means he never plays again. So you know, there was a there was that element of the defensive shuffle as well. And I think really in, in that aspect, you can point to uh, Matt Hedges coming of age uh, in those those next couple of years um then even going on the attacking side of the ball you know that that was the uh michael barrios introduction which although unspectacular at first we uh we definitely went on to to appreciate his efforts 
Yeah, Michael Barrios, the, the two big signings, if you call them big, of the offseason going into 2015, as you mentioned, Michael Barrios comes in on the wing, who eventually, obviously, is a big-time, huge, massive player. And the second sort of interesting player is that they pick up Atiba Harris in the reentry draft and convert him to right back. And as you mentioned, that's part of this defensive, slight defensive changes that are happening as, as Perez still tried to figure things out. Uh, and another position that is chaotic in 2015 is goalkeeper because Chris Seitz is around um, at this point already. And they, they pick up Dan Kennedy versus the dispersal draft um, from Chivas USA's contraction. Kennedy's probably expected to be the starter. Uh, and But Jesse Gonzalez is also starting to get playing time. And they end up with a mix in goal of Kennedy making 16 starts, Seitz making seven, and Gonzalez making 11. So just like the season before, Pereja's trying to figure out who the guy's going to be. Yeah, it was it was a strange one because it wasn't like... At no point was there like a, a mix of anything. It was just... Uh, let me think. It was a uh, site start at the season. You know, played through that, that crazy... Uh, a certain crazy game that I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. Kennedy picks it up and then uh, suddenly suddenly Jesse's in the picture towards the end of the year and, uh, you know, brings some, some particular highlights. Well, 2015, uh, speaking of highlights, is probably, I think, the peak year of Fabian Castillo. He has nine goals and nine assists in 2015. MLS Best 11, MLS All-Stars, two-time player of the week in the league. Uh, and To be Fair, though, this probably is his peak season because this is the year he's really focused on FC Dallas, which maybe later is not so much. So he's he's one of the most key players of in, in, on the team this season, and and this is when fans are just going crazy about how good he is. Definitely. I think you can't underestimate or undervalue um, the whole change in in attitude that the Colombian national team took. You know, they went in a very short time from, we'll never pick a guy from MLS because it's a terrible league, to picking Castillo and, and you know, the Colombian media saying, hold on, maybe this guy could be the new Falcao when they, you know, when they eventually tried to play him up front. Well, there's going to be a lot of talk about Castillo coming up. <laughs> I know we'll be back to him for sure. Amaro Diaz in 2015 also has a really, really good season. He's, he, as we mentioned, coming out of 2014, the signs were there. And in 2015, he plays one of his basically two healthy seasons where he plays 24 games. Uh, we'll come back to Diaz's health a lot later, too, as well. But he has eight goals. Only three of them are from PKs, mind you, because he takes a lot of PKs. And 10 assists, that's a tremendous season. Uh, but at this point, he looks like he's really a quite special player, and, and Oscar is probably building the team around him as we move forward. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of Priest is kind of brought in, uh, particularly showing up behind him uh, and, and to the sides. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Barrios to give that three-headed attack uh, with Castillo, Rolando Escobar as, uh, as an alternate option on the right. Uh, Kyle Becker brought in for behind. Obviously, Atiba Harris. You can, you know, he can he could play in 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 midfield some. I mean, even uh, they they looked at Juan Toha even on trial that season. So uh, I've forgotten that. Know, really, <laughs> yeah, I had to until I, I I was writing up some notes and looked back at a trial game. Uh, 
played two games, got booked in two games, and they said goodbye. Wow. Well, we did mention that the defense was one of the question marks of this season, and and Oscar still was still looking for answers. Hedges obviously is becoming the rock we know and love, and he makes the MLS best eleven. Uh, and really, Zach Lloyd is the only other constant, as we mentioned earlier. Zimmerman plays ten games, starts ten games. Excuse me. Moises Hernandez starts eleven. Hollingshead, who's a rookie, plays 25 games, but probably all over the place from left back to left wing and right wing and right back even. And then Javon Watson plays 22. So really it's Hedges that's holding it all together. But considering how fluid the back line is, 2015 is actually the fourth um, time in club history they allowed less than 40 goals against. So something is working if it's not, if it's all in flux. Absolutely. I mean, they say, you know, Hedge is really starting to come into his own. Uh, Zach Lloyd is, or was a, a phenomenal player. And, you know, we talked about the the disarray uh, in goal, but you still have three quality, starting quality keepers, uh, which is such a rarity in, in any league. Yeah, unfortunately, the offensive end is not quite as good yet. Uh, we're starting to see the wind down of Blas Perez. He only ends up with five goals. And uh, David Teixeira, or David Teixeira, however you want to pronounce his first name, depending on whether you want to anglicize it or not, has only six goals. Uh, so neither of those guys seems to be the answer. And I do wonder, in in hindsight, Dan, uh, how good this team might have been if they'd have had a true peak nine, a question we've been asking for a long time about this club. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, uh, definitely the the start of Blas has uh, come down, which is crazy because he he scored three goals in the first two games. I mean, he he really uh, pulled Dallas into the season, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're still arguably looking for that uh, full replacement five years later. Yeah, and and one of the reasons why we wonder is the the Diaz Castillo Barrios set of three sort of behind Blas. They, they lead the team combined to 52 goals, which is the sixth best in club history. So you wonder how productive they would have been with a nine actually banging in goals at a consistent rate and finishing. And really it's remarkable how Pereja was able to make the whole thing work considering the roster still is in flux a little bit. I mean, Barrios only makes 19 starts as he's just come in. So Teixeira plays 19, Akindale starts 19, excuse me, Akindale starts 14, Perez 14, Kellen Acosta, who's becoming a more major player, starts 19, Michelle starts 12. So the midfield pieces are still not locked in. And so really it's remarkable this team is as good as it is. Definitely. I think especially you mentioned Tesho, you know, he'd come off that rookie of the year season, looked absolutely phenomenal and then uh he had that that sophomore season slump um which you know gave blas some more time on the field gave david tessera some more time uh and and tessera is is easily the most frustrating player um that i've seen uh you know talk about a guy that you'd watch him in training and he's putting away these world-class finishes Mm. and then it gets out onto the field and he can't score from a yard out Hmm. Sounds familiar. The Open Cup isn't so good in 2015. Uh, they do knock off the OKC energy as they pretty much always do. 
But then we get one of the worst losses, not an upset loss, but it's one of the worst losses in club history when they get stomped into the ground by Sporting Kansas City by a 6-2 score line. Um, usually FC Dallas is pretty good in open cups, but um, this was a really, really poor one. Dom Dyer scores four goals and set a whole bunch of Kansas City records, uh, in open cup records, and one of the most thorough beatings I've ever seen FC Dallas take in an open cup game. Yeah, and, and I mean, as we'll, we'll find out as we go through it, uh, Sporting Kansas City and, and FC Dallas is a is a fairly one-sided relationship in the Open Cup. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they, were definitely, uh, they were definitely raring to go. I think uh, Dallas had a bit of a weakened lineup, I remember rightly, but, you know, um, Dallas had also beaten SKC at, hi- uh, at home 3-1 in that second game of the season. Uh, Dom Dwyer's uh, wife, Sydney LaRue, was there to scarf the statue. He misses a penalty. He's getting grief off the fans, mm. has an absolute mare. And I remember I was actually doing a, I was doing a profile on him that day. So I go into the SKC locker room and uh, to speak to him, and, and Peter Vermees is pacing back and forth, playing on his phone. <laughs> He's looking for a video of one of Blas's goals. He's like, I, I swear there was a player offside. And I just remember he, he said something to me. I'm like... No, no, there was there was at least three players offside in that goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there are some good wins, positive signature wins in 2015. Some of the ones that jumped out at me were the four-one win over Portland in July, and then the two beatings of Houston, both by a four-one scoreline, one in May and one in October. Yeah, it it is it, it's such a weird weird uh early season as well uh, you know you had that you had a couple of good starts you had, had that weird colorado game where um colorado haven't scored all season so far and then suddenly they put four up on on dallas you've got the toronto game at you know straight after that the the three two with the three hour weather delay it's mm, i remember that just game. that was uh that, that was it was bizarre. It, there was nothing. Oh, and even uh, the 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 game against Columbus playing that starting the five home grounds and everyone's like, oh god, this is going to be terrible, and suddenly run out three nil winners, right. despite arguably getting outplayed. Yeah, <laughs> soccer is a weird game sometimes in that regard. Nonetheless, FC Dallas finishes October uh, four with a four zero and one run, which gets them to sixty points. So all this chaos we've been talking about. And they get to 60 points, which is the most in club history. And they win the West, but they lose out to the Supporters' Shield on a tiebreaker to the New York Red Bulls. So all in all, despite the chaos we've talked about, and and really Oscar's still trying to figure out uh, what his pieces are, particularly defensively, you're still talking about one of the best seasons in club history and a point total we've never seen before. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was it was weird because it's this great height of... 60 points was that, I mean, obviously it's not now, we've had teams hit at 70, but 60 points was that magic marker that the teams had to try and achieve. And and to see two teams do it was was great. To see um, FC Dallas do it against the odds was fantastic, although, uh, you know, the Red Bulls having a slightly easier schedule while the East was pretty terrible, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, it was a weird dampener. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of people are upset that they missed out on a on a significant trophy um, that's that season, but it, which kind of overshadowed the achievement. Uh, obviously, 
even more so something that came a couple of weeks after would overshadow that even further. <laughs> yeah, the 2015 playoffs are really quite epic. Uh, round one is against Seattle. Dallas goes up to Seattle for uh, game one in Seattle and loses two to one, although Castillo gets a road goal. Uh, and then game two is uh, really something special and it is one of the marquee games in this franchise's history, honestly. Um, Akindeli puts Dallas up one nothing in the 84th minute, according to the, the, the stat sheet only for Chad Marshall to come back in 90th minute and it seems steal the game. Uh, but no, it's, it's not over because, um, Walker Zimmerman has come in and he scores the go ahead goal a minute later, almost as Seattle is still sell not quite, but still celebrating in that kind of frame of mind, certainly, uh, to force overtime. This, this goal does. And, and eventually they get to PKs and then Zimmerman converts the winning PK. And, and this, this game, um, is right up there with the with the 1999 game playoff game as one of the best and most exciting games in club history. Certainly, the last uh, five minutes being the most exciting. Yes, um, maybe the snooze for the first eighty. <laughs> yeah, everyone talks about it being a great game, and honestly, I I don't remember anything before the eighty fourth minute. Um, but it was so up and out. It was the second season the MLS is using uh, away goals. You know, FC Dallas fell victim to it the year before in in seattle and they played to a boring nil nil to, to yep. steal it um but you know you've you've got tesho scores and suddenly fc dallas are going through on away goals chad marshall scores and suddenly you know there, there is no away goals it's just seattle going through uh on aggregate and then you know uh the way that walker uh finished it up and you know that was uh it was like they were just throwing everything in the box and it was a corner that actually got headed away and, and Blas just sticks a foot out, plays it back over his head for, for Walker. It's it's one of those goals that just had no right to even uh, <laughs> to even be there. Yeah. Nonetheless, then, it is a crazy exciting end. Uh, and, and while you're right, I don't remember the game much at all until uh, Akindeli scored, but... Um, the end certainly was just intense. And I remember the overtime being intense too. So I, it was a hell of a game in, in the end, the last bit, <laughs> the second round, however, is not so great. Uh, FC Dallas loses three, one to the Timbers in Portland, which pretty much ends it before they even do anything else. But um, they do play game two and they end up being a two to two tie and FC Dallas is eliminated five, three on aggregate. And <clears throat> so a season of 60 points uh, comes to a not so great conclusion. No, it was, it was rough, and um, what more made it worse is it was, it was the first leg. Nat Borchers uh, scores off a corner in like in injury time, and uh, you know it was just a case that they fell asleep in the last minute of the away leg, and and then a two goal deficit was just too much to overcome. Uh, yeah, particularly against a Portland team that's pretty good uh, at that point. So moving on to 2016 um, and, and getting past the uh, disappointing end of 2015, 2016, Pereja and Calvillo uh, keep streamlining the team. Michelle is gone. David Teixeira, who's a disappointment, as you say, is gone. Dan Kennedy's gone. Rolando Escobar is gone. Uh, once again, they take advantage of the reentry draft. It's two years in a row, which because usually the reentry draft is worthless, but two years in a row, FC Dallas takes advantage. This time they picks up Matt pick up Maxi Uruti, who turns out to be a massive part of the team going forward. And he has a great season with nine goals and four assists. That's a fantastic pickup from a, from a usually totally unregarded reentry draft. 
Yeah, it was it was it was such a fortunate thing. Uh, Portland had really built up that team for the cup run, and uh, Baruti had a, a guarantee the next season that would have put them well over the cap, and they just they had to decline his option. So Dallas trades up to get that number one spot in the reentry draft, and I I want to say there were only like three picks in that draft in the end. Yeah, the, the, the re-entry draft is usually worthless for the most part. So it's remarkable that two years in a row they took advantage of it and got a good piece. So in addition, in 2016, Maynor Figueroa comes in, who turns out to be a terrific pickup. Mauro Rosales comes in. He's an amazing bench piece this one season. Um, but the biggest addition of the season comes with the holding mid superstar, Carlos Grezzo, uh, comes in. And this is the first sort of lockdown holding mid since Daniel Hernandez had been in with the club and is the number two holding mid in the club history, according to our panel, you know, they had tried other options. They had tried uh, Peter Lucine, but then he hurt, hurt his knee. And then they, they, they went through Victor Uloa, who we love, but isn't a world-class six. So the addition of Carlos Grezzo, not in a stat terms, but I think you and I, and, and certainly on this podcast, we all time talk about how valuable this guy is over the next uh, two or three seasons. Yeah, just you know, in the way he he shut down plays and allowed, you know, we we talk a lot about um, a double pivot versus a single six, and you know, just just having him there allowed a Yoa or or whoever we was playing alongside to just get forward and and kind of get involved in the possession side of the game. His his distribution was was fine; it was above average, but just as a a shutdown player and, and an enforcer. I mean, he picked up so many yellow cards, but, you know, he also uh, knew when to go through the back of someone and, and stop them messing around. Yeah, his as you say, his time with FC Dallas allowed Pereja and, and then Lucci later to play a single pivot 4-3-3 versus a 4-2-3-1. Uh, it, it moves a player, you know, 10 yards further up the field, and that can make a big difference. Um, the most interesting thing for me, statistically speaking, on this season uh, was evident when I was looking at the stats going back is that Preha gets his lineup dialed in in 2016. Instead of this wide variety of players playing, we actually only see 14 players play more than get more than 15 starts. So his he's very dialed in with his you know 12, 13, 14 man group, and then we have uh, Rosales as a consistent sub. And that's pretty much it, honestly. Other than that, it's like a sm- spattering of plays here or there. It's it's the focus of the lineups this year that really stood out to me in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hallmark of a champion, right? Trying to have, yeah. have consistency, but know there is depth there to rely on if you need to. So this is Mauro Diaz's second straight, mostly uninjured season we'll get back to that mostly (laughs) he starts 24 games and plays 27 total he has five goals and 13 13 assists in league play 2016 clearly is peak Mauro Diaz and Dallas this is as good as it got for Diaz and Dallas yeah and it definitely helped you you know you've got uh, Castillo is is carrying on his form Barrios had kind of kicked into gear halfway through 2015, and he's really come on. And, you know, for Diaz, it's just a case of the ball comes to him, and he can flick a ball to the left, he can flick a ball to the right, and you know, you know that one of those two players is getting in behind. It is, you know, when we see it, um, you know, after Castillo's departure, really up until this season, um, that. You know, that balance on the wings was such a huge part of Dallas' success. 
Yeah, we, between Yuruti and Diaz and Barrios and Castilla and Kellen Acosta as the eight, uh, you're looking at an offense that scores 50 goals, which is a fantastic level of production. And, of course, Diaz is the keystone of that and, and the thing that's kind of holding it all together most of the time. Um, and, and the whole offense is really flowing this season. The defense, too, is also dialed in. This is this is how you make championship teams, both offense and defense. Uh, Hedges earns the only MLS Defender of the Year award for this club playing in the middle. And Walter Zimmerman is starting most of the time in the middle with him. Atiba Harris is on the right. Maynor Fair Figueroa is often commonly on the left. But we also see Ryan Hollingshead start like 20-something games, some at left back, some at other places. Zach Lloyd is still in the mix as a great piece, although he's starting to miss a lot of playing time with injuries. And together, together, this group, uh, and you can include Grezzo in that, and you can include uh, the goalkeepers in this, and this this group only allows 40 goals defensively, and that's the fifth best in club history. Oh. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a lot of consistency there. Um, you know, even I know uh, Jesse really missed out that season. He had that uh, ahead of Mexico Olympic squad camp, lost the start to sites, and then yeah, it's mostly Come, sites this yeah. year. Yeah, uh, and then Jesse got got the start again, played two games and got injured again. Uh, you know, it, it's good for a defense to know the tendencies of of who they're playing in front of. You know, you you know a keeper shouts, and you know Jesse it was. I mean, he still is. He's still working on his communication and yeah. and his control of the box. We don't. You know, you, you kind of talk about that more in other leagues than MLS, but it's such an important part, particularly on set pieces, uh, an area that, that sometimes Dallas struggled in. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Je- Jesse's in his, and still is today, in his low 20s. You know, you're talking about keepers who usually peak, what, uh, later than re- field players, you will say 26 to 29 is the peak. Keepers, it's more like 28 to 32 right. is their peak. You know, so uh, Jesse, even today, is only what, 24, 25. So he, he's not even, he's got another three or four seasons before he hits his peak. And, and back in 2016, he's still a baby in a lot of keeper terms. So, um, you know, in and out of the lineup, it's in problems with him. And, and Sites is still a really reliable piece. So, you know, it, when you combine that that inexperience or the the flux there with you know the defense being locked in 40 goals is a surprising uh a low total and really is one of the best defenses we've ever seen which is why when you have a championship team there aren't a lot of midseason additions there's only one that's really worth talking about and that's Aubrey David who comes in and makes us on loan from Deportivo Saprissa and he makes a solid contribution down the stretch uh defensively yeah it, it was a uh, it was it, it was, he was kind of a victim of circumstance with just how many good players were back there. I would have liked to have seen uh, FC Dallas keep him, but you can't talk too much about uh, impact mid-season sign-ins and not talk about Carlos Ruiz. Well, they only played one game, but okay, I'll go ahead, Carlos Ruiz. And he scored in it. He, he did scored score the winner, <laughs> and he won the Supporters' Shield with it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I mean, you win the supporters show for the whole season, but uh, that was such an odd signing when they brought him back. I was like, really? What are we doing? And then he came in the game and, and celebrated like he did. It was, it is one of the more, uh, I mean, when you look at the context, it's like you literally signed that guy and paid him whatever you paid him. I don't remember for one game and one goal. <laughs> hey, hey, it's, yeah. it's worth it if it wins something. Yeah, and, you goal. know, it's, yeah, I mean, to, to not have to go into LA on that last day, uh, you know, 
knowing that you would need to win to prevent Colorado winning it and suddenly yeah. seeding changes and everything else. Just just a huge moment. Well, we talked about goalkeepers earlier, and one of the signature moments of 2016 comes in a loss in Toronto, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, Dan. Uh, Dallas is out of yeah. subs, and they're forced to put Jesse Gonzalez gets knocked out of the game, and they're forced to put Ryan Hollingshead in net in the 89th minute. Now, Hollingshead uh, does an admirable job for a field player. He makes one save, and he ends the game with a 0.00 GAA, which, by the way, Dan, ties a club record held by... And you'll, uh, this is my favorite part, held by Chris Bondi from back in 2003. Both Hollingshead and Bondi are left backs. So <laughs> there's a, a odd confluence of left back turned goalkeeper field players for this club. The, the, wow, I did not know that start. That, that, was, that was a really interesting game, though. Is this, it was the end of a three-game skid. Uh, you know, they'd lost in Vancouver and... 3-0 and then went to the Red Bulls and lost 4-0 in the same week and then to go to Toronto and have that happen and it was kind of like a rallying point. You had Will Johnson knees Jesse Gonzalez in the head, puts him out of the game not like FC Dallas fans needed any more reason to hate Will Johnson yeah, from no his time right. in Portland you know and, and then to see that suddenly uh, you know it, it, it definitely helped us a lot a rallying cry to, to get Dallas back into good form, and that was really their only their only skid. Yeah, 2016 is a great season, and we mentioned um, the Supporters' Shield win, which we'll circle back to at the end of the season part, but uh, 2016 also is, of course, a great cup run, a very special cup run. Now, now, FC Dallas beats Oklahoma City Energy to start it, as they often do. Then they beat the Colorado Rapids at home and here in Frisco. And then they go down to Houston and beat the Houston Dynamo. Then they go to L.A. and beat the L.A. Galaxy. And in the final, they get to play New England Revolution here in uh, in, in Dallas. And uh, this is the second uh, U.S. Open Cup for this franchise. But in particular in this game, the thing I noticed, and I, I recently watched this game again, this single individual game, probably for me, Mauro Diaz's a masterpiece FC Dallas moment. This is the peak game of his career and his time in hoops for me. Yeah, what was it like? Uh, he had three assists and one goal from yeah, the ball. Yeah, scored a goal and had the, all had all the assists in the game for Dallas. It, it's it's funny. I know I mentioned this to you yesterday, but I, I remember the cup run being this whole triumphant thing. But you think they enter in the fourth round, they go at penalties with Oklahoma City, and Zach Lloyd uh, gets that elbow to the head that permanently puts them on the shelf. They go, to, uh, they play Colorado at home, and um, they go to, I think the, the winner was in uh, in stoppage in extra time. They go to Houston, and it was a 91st minute winner. <laughs> They go to the last minute of extra time in LA before having the actual dominant performance. It was, it was the cup run that should never have happened, but went all the way. I suppose that's the nature of cup runs, isn't it? That's it takes sometimes crazy Herculean efforts to get a cup won, and there's a reason why even a club like FC Dallas that puts a lot of weight in it has only managed to put it away twice i think i think they've been to the quarterfinals the most of any club uh something like 
I want to say it's something ridiculous, like 15 times or something. They've been to the quarterfinals. You know, it's it, it's hard to pull it over the line, and, and they got it done this time. And as I say, I think that was Amaro's best game. Uh, unfortunately, two things go wrong. Down as good as this season is looking and as good as things are going, there are two major problems that occur over the stretch run. Uh, and we will talk about both of them. The first one is that, as you've alluded to earlier, is that Fabian Castillo does a, um, a Siegfried and Roy vanishing act off to Turkey without club permission and it basically forces the club to sell him to Trazbanspor, which I'm probably mispronouncing. Uh, trash can what? Trash can what? Uh, what a debacle this entire thing is. And I don't know that Fabian Castillo's reputation isn't permanently ruined by this because he's basically been a nomad since then. Oh, it is definitely uh, ruined. I don't know if he's still with the same agent, but he really shouldn't be. Um, it was weird because, I mean, obviously, you know, once he got in the national team, he's getting all the attention. I remember Dan Hunt talking about, yeah, we had a bid from Olympia. Of course, it was like three and a half million. You know, I want to push him closer to 10. And then, you know, his agent kidnaps him, essentially, uh, <laughs> and forces Dallas into, uh, into a deal where they only get five hundred thousand dollars more than what olympiacos bid in the first place it was just uh yeah i remember sitting at home you know working on articles and such and seeing these tweets of photos of him at, at transpens for signing contracts and in that and weird dark room <laughs> yeah and you're like dude he's under contract you can't sign another contract so it's it was a mess and now this stuff happens in soccer and i like you blame his horrific agent um, but you know, he, he's, he played a couple of seasons there and then he went to Cholos for a couple of seasons and now he's on off again. And, and I know Oscar lost a lot of faith with him and felt really betrayed by the whole thing. I mean, he let Fabian live in his house for a couple of years when he kid was 18 and it really was just a utter disaster. And that of course brings us down to the second, uh, horrific problem of the second half of 2016. And that's when Mauro Diaz tears his Achilles on over October 16th versus Seattle in the penultimate game of the year. Uh, and this is the real tragedy. This 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 loss of Diaz down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a strange one. Cause, I mean, it's what the second to, it's the it's the last home game. So it's, it's just minutes after um, Carlos Ruiz has scored that goal. Um, so late in the game that he goes down and and Dallas doesn't bother to make a substitution because we're right at the very end of it. It was. Yeah. And it's it was horrible. I remember like you know, people were were incredibly distraught and blaming Tyrone Mears for a tackle and you know, oh he fouled him, he kicked him, he injured him and it was like it's an Achilles tendon tear. It's it's actually how Mara Diaz plants his leg and we know that Mara Diaz's legs have been a long term issue that that the club have been working on and you know it it was it was weird. I don't think in the grand scheme of things you know i don't go as far as people would say that was what cost fc dallas mls cup but it's such a such a huge blow to lose such an influential player yeah this is the second straight 60 point season as you mentioned it's the first in mls history back-to-back 60 point seasons and it's the first ever and only supporter shield in club history so again amazing season and i was going to ask you if you bought into the treble hype that Diaz cost them the cup. I, I think it's a combination of Castillo's departure and Diaz getting hurt that 
derails the season at the very end and is what prevents them from doing well in the playoffs. I'm gonna actually go a step further. Right. Uh, we we Eric, so we 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 both uh, absolutely love Oscar Pereira, um, personally and professionally. Um, but he goes to Seattle and he plays a back five with three yeah. sixes above it. You are not winning anything. Yeah, they do that. lose that game one three nothing, um, which sets a bad tone against their new bogey team. It used to be the Rapids with a bogey team. Uh, but now it's Seattle's the bogey team. They lose 3-0 in Seattle, and, and then they come back home and win 2-1. But that's not enough, and you're eliminated 4-2. And so one of the best seasons in club history, the arguably the best season in club history, is derailed. Yeah, and it's kind of it's a shame because Oscar had a very big problem with two-legged cup games, um, you know, which is a shame now we're on a one-legged system that he, we didn't get to see how he handled that in, in Dallas. Um, but also, like, you know, MLS made such a big deal about what home advantage is. And to me, home advantage is setting the tone. It's not how you finish it. You you go to Seattle and yep. you're three nil down. That's the home advantage because you, you can't, you're not going to beat them four nil. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely not going to beat them four nil when you get stomped and get, that's the trouble is if you get stomped in game one. Now, if you steal game one, you're rosy, but if you get stomped in game one, it's over. Uh, and this is just a perfect example of that. So, that brings us to 2017. And now the most important thing to understand about 2017, and Dan, you know this, we've talked about many times, but for those fans that aren't really super aware of the depth of how this league works, the most important thing about 2017 is that FC Dallas is playing in the 2016 and 2017 CONCACAF Champions League. Now they're in this because, uh, they're the tw- because they were the 2015, going way back, Western Conference champs they got into the 2016-17 CONCACAF Champions League. It's out of sync with the MLS calendar. So technically, they start that championship, the CCL, during 2016 season. And they're in a group with Real Estali, which is from Nicaragua, and CD Suchitepequez, which I'm butchering the shit of, Suchitepequez, which is a Guatemalan club. So... Uh, FC Dallas, you know, under Oscar and in the great 2016 season, they smoke both those teams. They don't lose a game and they advance to the knockout stage, which is important because that all sets up 2017. Uh, And I know, you know, this bit, Dan, and so it's because the strategy as you're setting up your next MLS season becomes an emphasis on the Champions League because you've now advanced to the knockout stage. So Dallas changes their mentality a little bit and changes their strategy a little bit. And in the big picture, this will make them double down on the academy in the long run. But in the short run, for 2017, it means they go older. They go spend a little more money. And they bring in Javier Morales. They bring in Roland Lamar. They go spend some money on Christian Coleman. They get an old vet in Hernan Grana. They try and spend some money on Annabelle Chala, which doesn't work out. They bring in Carlos Cremio. So they bring in some veteran experience and some talent they spend some money on. <clears throat> and this is a couple of these guys pan out, but most of them don't. And it's definitely a philosophical change from what Oscar had been doing and what the team now does 100% even more, isn't it? It was, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird preseason in general. Um, you know, obviously, you know, and Oscar 
was was straight up about it. You know, there was an older trend because of the cup competitions, but you know, they've they're just reacting to the Western McKinney going to Schalke thing. So they've panic signed um, Paxton. Um, yeah, like I mean, in, really, in... since you bring that up, really, it's it's Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, Jesus Fur, and Paxton Pomacall are all signed between the end of 2016 and the start of 2017. That window in reaction to McKinney. So it's a homegrown and, investment, sort of. But they're also, you know, they're trying to bring in like proven CONCACAF players. Uh, Jose Salva Tierra, uh, who plays for Costa Rica, comes in, uh, signs as a left back. Now, I've always heard that he turned up a little bit inebriated to his medical and they immediately sent him packing um he now plays for costa rica at left back they then go to annabelle shala uh from ldq yeah ldq (laughs) um you know and and he's he's playing for ecuador now uh but he got hurt in the preseason here and then which took off and that's a whole other which yeah. again a weird preseason because they go down to uh that was the year they went down to argentina and played like 11 games in 10 days right well the reason they do that is because as we've said fc dallas is now in the knockout phase of the Concacaf champions league and the first round is in february uh, so before MLS camps are even most MLS camps are just barely opening. Dallas is already playing competitive games. Now they draw Arabe Unido, which is a Panamanian team who they managed to knock off. And that sets up uh, a game against Pachuca in the semifinals. Now the leg one is in Frisco and Maxi Ruti and Kellen Acosta score and Dallas wins um, for Pachuca scoring on the other side is Frank O'Hara, which kicks off the Dan hunt infatuation with Frank O'Hara. Uh, and leg two is back down in Mexico where Hara scores again. Uh, and then only for Christian Coleman of all people to tie the game. <laughs> Unfortunately, our, uh, our old friend of, uh, Chucky Lozano, who most people will know, um, nets twice to steal the game. So, you know, perhaps a moral victory that you were, that you were good against Pachuca who went on to win the whole thing. But nonetheless, by this is, you know, by March, April, FC Dallas has already played all these games and is out of the CONCACAF Champions League after signing all these veteran players to try to make a run at it. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, they, they were two great games um, for sure. And, you know, as we see, this is all stuff that contributes to how yeah. the season ends. Yes, um, it does. <laughs> I, I don't know if you if you want to we'll, just we'll uh, <laughs> cut this show. you know um it, it was weird because you know we're also we keep talking about trending older but the team are building up the year of kellen yeah and yeah this this whole weird thing of you know mauro diaz has been out for six months and the team's playing better without him they figured out yes. how to not play a true 10 they're playing more of a yeah I mean, they built four, the, four, two, four, three, three, and kind of just adapting. They built this championship team to not have Diaz because they knew he wouldn't be back. It's all part of it. And, and as you say, Kellen Acosta uh, has a really good season, and he is part of their big push to promote their own players, which is fine. So, you know, in in the midst of all this quality Champions League start, FC Dallas, as you say, is playing great, and they they start the season on a killer run. 5-0-4, undefeated through May 14th. And, and keep in mind, they were eliminated in only April from the CONCACAF Champions League. And going all the way through July, they're still 9-3-7. and So through the first half of the season, 
Remarkable season. It's going great. So far. So far. (laughs) But then, as we've alluded to, the wheels start coming off. uh, And most of us, in hindsight, assume it's a combination of age of the squad, season fatigue because of the length, because of the Champions League, the post-Champions League depression from losing to Pachuca, uh, there's a heavier workload early on because of the load of games and the travel internationally. Unfortunately, um, from July 29th on, we're looking at one of the most epic collapses in league history. Uh, the team only wins two more games from July 29th on, and they finish the game 2-7-6 and six and miss the playoffs. It is one of the greatest collapse classes we've ever seen. I mean, just to illustrate, you can go back a week before that. Uh, July 22nd, Christian Coleman scores two goals. Should have been a hat-trick. That uh, disallowed goal was crap. Um, to to put FC Dallas top of the West. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, the problems uh, on this team, to me, in hindsight, and looking at the stats this last week when I was researching, they seem to be mostly defensive. Um, 48 goals allowed is tied for the sixth worth in club history. That's not very good. Uh, on the offensive end... Mario Maxi Ruti has 12 goals. That's the most since Jeff Cunningham had the golden boot in 20, 2009. And Roland Lamar, who is a negative player in my estimation, manages to give up, uh, to, sorry, manages to score 11 goals. And Michael Barrios has an amazing season with 14 assists. So the offense is there. It's just the defense that is in tatters. And I think it's because of combinations of a couple of young guys who Oscar starts to lose faith in and also a couple of old guys who fall apart. Herman um, uh, Grana, to me in particular, is really poor over the second half. Uh, the defense is just not getting it done. And, and maybe also a combination of Jesse being really, really young still, of course, which just doesn't always inspire great confidence. You also had times where Mino Figueroa is playing as a centre-back and yet he's drifting out as if he's playing to a, as a left-back and leaving yeah. a massive gap in the middle. Um Atiba Harris is kind of playing like a bit of a liability sometimes. Um, Kellen Acosta is a defensive midfielder. He comes back from the Gold Cup and it all starts to unravel. Uh, yeah. You know, it was, and then, like you say, you, you, you've got this team that have, have been nonstop since January and they're just they're just starting to wear down. Yeah, I think I think the 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 length of the season and the, and how long it took and the and the hangover from the Champions League, I think that's the biggest part of it. The age of the squad, the guys that are playing a lot, is a little bit up there. Um, needless to say, with this with this meltdown of a season, FC Dallas misses the playoffs for the first time under Preha, and only the seventh time in club history, which I think is impressive out of twenty five seasons. Um, and <laughs> the craziest yep. thing that happens, uh, is Dan is right at the end, right before it's all going to go down the drain. Dallas stomps the crap out of the LA galaxy five, one on the last game of the season. I mean, that's a fun moment, but hardly makes up for missing the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, the galaxy at, at that point were one of the worst teams in the history of the league. <laughs> uh, you know, they'd, they'd fallen off the back of all their stars. It was just, it was such a weird game because, you know, everything's suddenly looking great. Uh, you know, there was a whole celebration. Um, the supporters groups are leaving things in the locker room for the players, Ooh. you know, and, and the players, families are getting involved with that. And, um, you know, and, Suddenly, it's like Dallas is about to sneak the last playoff spot. Yeah, and the game finishes, and it, and they're still in the the playoff spot, 
And then Chris Wondolowski scores a 93rd minute winner against uh, Minnesota to just <laughs> sneak uh, sneak and passed on. Is it yeah. wins or goal difference was it's, the tiebreaker? I don't remember, but it's something. Yeah, tiebreaker. But it was. I mean, I remember I was on the field for uh, who was it? Somebody was getting an award. <laughs> I can't remember. I, don't know. So I was. I remember speaking to a couple of players, and they were just deflated. Yeah. Like that win meant nothing because of what they found out after it. Not because of the whole season, just because that glimmer of hope was extinguished. Yeah, for five minutes it was so good, and then it wasn't. Uh, well, in the midst of all this horrible season, the cup run is also crap. Um, FC Dallas beat the Tulsa Roughnecks this time to get into the to, as their first Matic meeting of the of the cup and then they knocked off the colorado rapids as usual as they almost always do in the cup not the playoffs just the open cup uh and then of course once again they lose to sporting kansas city although this time it's only three to nothing but uh this is an era of losing to sporting kansas city in that in the open cup and that continues all three games and all three goals in extra time no no at 90 minutes um yeah it was a weird one as well it was that game where uh, SKC's owner had just died in a, I think, a helicopter crash or something the week before. So it was like a really somber occasion. Mm. And then uh, Maxi Aruti picks up a second yellow, trying a bicycle kick and kicking Ikapara's head off. Mm. You know, and that, and then there's sort of the SKC players are already kind of heated, you know, with, with all the emotion in the stadium and they're trying to drag him off the field and you know maxi's there like in tears i trying to find out if icapara is okay and he's hanging around outside the locker room for updates and all this. it was it was a weird weird game for so many reasons well the other notable win that i picked up on was the 6-2 roland lamar hat-trick game against rsl back in june uh shortly after mauro diaz started to feel see the field again he came on the sub in this game in particular um, high water mark for Lamar getting that hat trick. Uh, a player who, for my money, was a waste to having in Dallas his entire time there. But it is a big, impressive win uh, to to beat RSL, who is almost always a good team, but by such a high margin. Jesus Ferrer's first goal. That's true. It is at the time was he the youngest goal in SC Dallas history? I think that still holds up, and maybe one of the yeah, he was the second, second in league youngest. history at the time. Yeah. All right, 2017 is a season to forget. <clears throat> One of the great collapses in MLS history, unfortunately. Uh, some of the league guys love to talk about that still. So 2018, um, little do we know at the time that this is Oscar Prias' last season with FC Dallas. But Dallas goes back to their younger, homegrown draft pick, young signing style that we know today. It was really just the one 2017 blurb where they kind of moved away from it a little bit. Uh, Herman Gran is out. Javier Morales is out. Carlos Serminio is out. Atiba Harris is out. Chris Seitz is out. And Walker Zimmerman, uh, who Prey had lost faith with in 2017, are all in the way out. Now, it's hard to real. I found it hard in hindsight to remember exactly what Zimmerman did uh, to lose faith, but it definitely was... You know, as the season collapse started to happen, all of a sudden Zimmerman was out of the lineup and really was never much part of the team after that, and they ended up trading him. Yeah, it was it was weird. I remember he sprained his MCL. That was a very real thing. He was out for a couple of games, um, and then I, you know, this was a time where I was going to 
practice very regularly and we were all you know i'd be the only one out and i talked to oscar asked for an update on certain players and he'd be one of them oh yeah isn't he still bothering him and then walker zimmerman would walk out and this was like a weekly occurrence walker zimmerman would come out afterwards no my knee's fine i don't know why i'm not playing wow and so he'd he'd come on as sub every so often and and that was really it and they fell out. I mean, Oscar's fallen out of a, a lot of players. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he likes to be an authority figure. He doesn't like players maybe getting too uppity. Um, hmm. He's he's obviously told us both about, um, you know, South American players not wanting to be on the bench. And Annabelle Chala was a perfect example of that. Um, but he seemed to, to get in that with, with Zimmerman too. And they both wanted... They both wanted out of that relationship. I do wonder, in hindsight, if Walker Zimmerman might not be the prototypical spoiled American athlete, um, because you know he seems to have worn out his welcome in L.A. too. They didn't; they were more than happy to move him on. It seems this offseason to to Nashville. So um, I do wonder about that. And, and you would think that he'd be a bigger part of the national team than he is based on his talent. So um, there are questions uh, I mean- there for me. A big problem with Walker Zimmerman, and this is probably... I mean, I th- I thought, you know, he, he kind of could project it being better than Hedges. Uh, I thought in his last season he had a better season than Hedges. But he was a freak athlete that had a very regular brain fart. Yeah. Um, Good for a brain you know, fart, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember uh, it was, you know, it was one of his first appearances, but uh, a game against Portland in the Open Cup where... Um, you know, he tries to play this weird back pass that made no sense whatsoever in the context of the game, was so far short, and then just stands there and watches a Portland player run onto it and, and score into an empty net. Yeah, I, I think that for those of us that were around the team enough, and this is more you than me, I think we knew, um, I, I didn't make it out as much in 2017, but we knew that the writing was on the wall with Zimmerman. Once Oscar quit playing him, that was going to be, you know, you knew it was coming. All right, anyway, close Dallas, to a million for him. So. Yeah, uh, well, they they made good business out of the deal, that's for sure. Uh, when you combine all the pieces that moved around, so FC Dallas drafts uh, a couple of GA players, Francis Atuahene and Emmanuel Amasi, who are both still around. Chris Richards and Brandon Cervania are both signed as homegrowns. This is for 2018. Jimmy Maurer is signed to back up Jesse Gonzalez. Uh, Jesse, who has taken over in 2017, uh, you know, if we didn't make that clear. Santiago Mascara is signed as a young, interesting player. Interesting, but maybe he hasn't paid off yet. Uh, but the two biggest signings uh, of the 2018 offseason are on defense, and they're both uh, meant to help reconstruct the defense that we talked about being so poor in 2017. And that's um, Anton Nedyalkov and Reto Ziegler, who are both terrific right out of the gate. Let's talk about Ziegler first, uh, Dan, and what he brought to the table and, and still brings to the table to this day. Um, as a veteran World Cup experience, quality center back, good feet, good brain, a leader for the back line. Yeah, um, you know, Ziegler, first and foremost, uh, uh, a hugely experienced player, uh, Premier League experience, Serie A experience, two World Cups, um, a cultured left foot, great distribution out of the back, which was something that, that FC Dallas had been trying to, to build upon. Um, even even today at 34, he's, he's still got it. Um, but it's also a, a cushion to allow Dallas to bring in 
some younger defenders a little bit later on to to inherit the role. Yeah, the the other uh, signing for the defense that we just talked about, Anton Nedyakov, is a bizarre story. Now, out of the gate, he looks fantastic. I love the way he plays. I love his mentality. I love his toughness. Uh, and then at some point he gets hurt and sort of vanishes. And we don't really hear much about him in terms of even like rehab. We don't see him rehabbing until we find out that he basically has flown back home and now wants out and wants to sign uh, some be sold back to a team in Bulgaria. Um, in his place, FC Dallas does an emergency sign of, Mar- of Marquinhos Pedrosa to play left back a Brazilian. But uh, again, this is just a bizarre mid-season debacle of a transfer situation for a guy that looks so good when he joined the team. Yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, I, I think Nedyalkov was maybe... He didn't understand the situation that his girlfriend wouldn't get a visa to join him in the U.S. because, you know, they're not married. Um, so when he gets injured, that whole forearm deal or collarbone, whatever it was, you know, the team gives him permission to go back and to see her. And then he's like... No, I kind of want to stay here now. Um, It's funny how often, Dan, we don't talk about off-field stuff, but off-field stuff can make such a big difference for players. Their happiness, when you're talking about a transfer for a player, do they want to go or not? Where do they want to be? I mean, we always talk about players and, oh, this guy should go here and that guy should go there. Well, what does the player want to do? And this is just another case where, he just wasn't happy here. He wasn't, you know, working for him. And as much as we liked him on the field, it just was like, he's like, you know what? I don't want to come back. It happens. No, I mean, it's, it's huge. And, and, you know, the more time you spend, like, in in this side of the game, the more you see it. Uh, you know, the old adage used to be, um, expect a player to have a terrible year if he moves in with a girlfriend and has a significant change in the situation or they have a kid or, you know, any, any of those high stress things that that maybe leave us a little less engaged and uh primed for for physical activity i guess yeah the the whole balance of one's life is important no matter what one does for a living and that's true in as a professional soccer player is it is, isn't anything for else right so 2015 is the breakout season for a, a certain homegrown named Reggie Cannon Reginald Cannon at right back uh, speaking of players who've had a recent life change, um, he goes from playing just one minute, one single minute in 2017 to becoming the full-time lockdown starter in 2018. That's a remarkable leap for a young man. Yeah, and, and we sort of talked about uh, Hernan Grana's season line, and, and you know we knew that Grana was effectively there to groom Reggie Cannon as, as his immediate successor, and, you know, to... To, I mean, Reggie became marathon man. He wanted to play every minute. He was upset when he when he couldn't. Um, it's it was uh, sometimes he he needs to get out of his own way. Sometimes, uh, like the time he tried to hobble out with a, <laughs> a horribly swollen ankle and argue with the trainer and staff that he was okay to play. Um, <laughs> Uh, my favorites are the ones where he's clutching his hamstring and stays in the game. It's like, dude, sub out. <laughs> but you know, that's Reggie being right. Reggie. I mean, he's so he's. I don't think I've known a more intense player. Like to the point where, 
Um, the Dallas Beer Guardians gave him their Player of the Year award, and uh, he was in tears accepting it because he was not not for anything uh, any anything specific. He was just really pissed off that he thought he had a bad game. Yeah, <laughs> Reggie, love the kid. Uh, one yeah. of the best interviews in the club history too, because he's so savvy and, and understands how things work. And even as a young man, one of the most requested players uh, in the franchise. Um, FC Dallas in 2018 is also again in the CONCACAF Champions League, although there's a slight tweak in the way the Champions League works. There is no 2017 component of it. It's just 2018. Um, they're in that obviously as the 2016 <laughs> is, uh, double champ, you know, shield and, and Oak cup winners. They're in the 2018 champions league. It was a time of transition. Don't get overcomplicated here with it. Um, but they have to start play again in February, uh, against their, <laughs> what is apparently with their CONCACAF champions league nemesis or one of two Pachuca is the other one, but this one is Taro FC, which is a Panamanian club. Taro just loves to knock FCD out of the CONCACAF champions league. They, they lose the first leg uh, down in Panama one, nothing, but they come home and you think, you know, Oh, this is going to be fine. We're going to win this home game, but Nope. Uh, they win three to two, but that means they lose the, the knockout because of the road goals rule. And they, the series is tied three to three. And uh, but they're out because the Taro scores twice in Frisco, so a debacle of a Champions League run against a team that you should from Panama beat and don't. And it was it was a weird time because they were trying to they were trying to use that three five two as well, which uh, lasted really that that game, and that was yeah. it. Um, yeah, painful. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember all the I remember just speaking to the most of the defenders after the game and they were all just confused none of, no one knew their cues when to get forward when to get back uh in that formation so it was uh it was a formation that they definitely could have worked on but it wasn't the right time to to try it out well the open cup in 2018 isn't much better uh dallas knocks off san antonio fc down in san antonio that was a fun game but they lose to sporting kansas city again this is the third time in four seasons they're knocked out by San, sorry, by Sporting Kansas City. The other time, of course, they won the whole thing. This one is a three to two loss when Daniel Solori has a brace for Kansas City. I don't even remember the game. It was that uneventful. Yeah, it's it's funny. I um, you know, obviously we've both sort of gone back and looked over the seasons and made some notes. And 2018, I have next to nothing for it. Was it was weirdly it was a weirdly unremarkable season. Yeah, I, uh, we'll come back to this in a bit, but I think um, we talk a lot around these parts about coaching cycles. And it's clear that Preha's team had cut, risen up 2015, 2016 peaks, and then 2017, it falls off the table. And 2018 is almost like a season of just waiting for the next wave to start. Um, and, and this is exemplified by the midseason moves, which come fast and furious. And the first of which is that Mauro Diaz asked to be sold to a club in UAE because they're going to pay him $3 million instead of just under a million that he was making in Dallas. Um, and Dallas is more than happy to let him go. And to be fair, as good as he was in 2016 when they won the double, and as good as he could be in moments, and the modern game is moving away from pure tens, and the guy played no defense at all. But more importantly for me, this is the thing that kills him in terms of where he stands in Dallas's hierarchy of talent is that he only started 50% of the games in which he was eligible to play for this club. 
And for me, if you can't start, if you're a player that's as good as he is, or he's supposed to be, and as important to the team as he is, or is supposed to be, if you can only start 50% of the games, then how can the team count on you and build around you? It just can't be done. And I think that's the legacy he leaves in Dallas. It's also such an important role, and he didn't score an open play goal in his last two calendar years. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's just, he just... As, as, as talented as he was, I just think his tenure in the club, other than the fact that they won two trophies in the one season, he managed to stay healthy until the end. Um, you know, it just most of the time it just was ineffective and in and out and a mix and, and not somebody you could rely on. And that kills it. And after Diaz is gone, Kellen Acosta, who has been playing poorly for a year or more, asked to be traded and the club is not too Oscar Perea is upset about it, but I don't think the club is too upset about it. And they trade Alcosta to Colorado, um, essentially for Dom Baji. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting deal. Kellen definitely, you know, he, he wanted to get out of town. There were a few things going on again, uh, off field, right? Personal know, life. Yeah. Exactly. Don't to get into it, stuff it's the and... same thing. Well, personal and professional, because professionally he just needed to get a, a start, a new start to, yeah. to not be, you know, he was he lost his place in the national team. He was kind of struggling, um, you know. He had the opportunity to go somewhere where they would, you know, effectively build a team around him. Yeah. And Dallas tried to make the most of it. They loaded the deal so that if Kellen went to Europe, which you know was the expectation, yeah. Um, that they would get a significant chunk of the fee, have Bargy and the international pick that later became Callum Montgomery. Um, you know, we can we can all talk about did it look like a good deal at the time? Does it look like a good deal now? But it was it was a guy that wanted to get out of town. That was that was really the the crux of it. Yeah, I remember him saying that he had lost the joy in playing that he wasn't yeah. enjoying soccer. And you know, when that happens, you need to reset your brain, reset and, your life. I get that. And so I don't, and, I don't begrudge him that. And I think it was clear in the way he was playing that he had lost that joy. And, and obviously as a, as a homegrown guy from the Academy here and a former player here, we love him and we want him to do great things. You know, we want him to be successful and we want him to be happy. And, and I, I hope that he's found that uh, on and off the field and, and, and makes, you know, a good life for himself professionally and personally. Um, you know, I, his personal details are not something we care about enough to get into, but, um, you know, just certainly he was affected by things and certainly he had lost his joy. And, and if, if he's finding it, that that's, that's a positive, that's a win. All right. Uh, in 2018, Matt Hedges is the team's only all-star, but, um, the, the one good thing we can say about that season is this might actually be Maxi Uruti's best year with FC Dallas. He has eight goals and 11 assists. Now, Maxi was always more of a false nine, if you will. Um, and, and in hindsight, I look back at his tenure in FC Dallas, and I wish we could have seen at least one season with him playing as a off striker to a real nine. Like if he'd have had a Blas and Blas's peak FC Dallasness, a guy to work off of. Now, unfortunately, FC Dallas hasn't played in a two-striker system in years, but I don't know how you feel about it. I always wanted to see Maxi as a second striker. I mean, the guy that they they uh, acquired was the second striker that played off uh, Fedendo Adi in in Portland. That's yeah, you know that should have been the game plan. Um, you know, you look at 
his time in Portland and he was the guy that would get onto the loose balls and, and could play, you know, and could play that secondary role in, in Dallas. He's, Unbelievable work rate. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and the nicest guy too. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I, I loved having Maxi in the team. I thought he was a great player to have in the squad, both his work rate and his leadership by example and a good squad member in terms of positivity. Uh, we're unbelievable work rate, relentless work rate, never give up attitude. All those things are terrific. It's just, you know, after a while, his time had run his course in Dallas, you know, and, and these things happen, you know, you get a good run with Oscar and when Oscar left, it was, you know, obviously going to be Maxie's time to leave too. So, you know, not, not, no bad feelings looking back on him at all. I just wish I could have seen him in that two striker system. It would have been fun, but it just wasn't to be because there was no nine worth of damn at the time around here. All right, in the in the midst of this 2018, uh, this midst of these players departing and, and this sort of reload, or or as we said, waiting around maybe for the next cycle to start, uh, it's actually a pretty decent season. FC Dallas starts 10-2-5, which is remarkably good through Independence Day. Uh, and while the second half wasn't quite as good, it doesn't have a, a complete collapse or anything, um, but there is a negative three-game losing streak at the end of the season. But they still finish... 16, 9, and 9, which is good enough for fourth place in the West. So overall, a positive season if maybe it pales in comparison to 2016. So like in that context, we think uh, it's a lame season. But if you compare it to 2017 or compare it to 2003 or whatever, it's a great season. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the finish kind of, the finish defined it. Sour taste, um, yeah. Yeah, having that, they limped into the playoffs and, you know, this is a team that were second in the West for a long time. Um, so that that final day loss to uh, Colorado it effectively took them from having a first round bye to, you know, to then missing out on playing um, Rail Salt Lake at home to instead get a significantly harder challenge in Portland. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Portland comes in and does the business. It, I don't think anyone was shocked by it. Diego it Valeri just... does what Diego Valeri does and scores a brace. Uh, you know, and, and as you say, the season turned south and then they get the tougher matchup and it was just the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And it's it's kind of funny. We talked about um, how Mara Diaz and, and how he'll stack up in in FC Dallas history, but... I mean, to me, the measuring stick is his compatriot, Diego Valeri. He, you know, you, you want that kind of longevity and, and impact on and off the field. Um, yep. You know, he, he's been a thorn in, in every club side, not just Dallas's. Um, you know, it seems like every time Portland come to town, MLS wants me to speak to uh, Valeri and, and write something on him. Yeah. Um, you he's know, I'm who always I happy want to Paxton Pomacall to be, Diego Valeri. Yes. By the way, uh, in this playoff loss, shout out to Matt Hedges for the never give up, never surrender, 94th minute goal. All right, the big shocker lands in the postseason when Oscar Perea mutually terminates his contract with FC Dallas so he can take the job at Club Tijuana. Um, again, we've talked about this idea of cycles and club coaches, the rise, the peak, and the fall. Oscar and I had been talking for five months as the 2018 was winding down about the idea of this cycle and whether he wanted to ride one again, whether he wanted to try something fresh, whether he wanted to challenge himself in Mexico at, at Cholos for specifically in this case. 
still, nonetheless, I was actually, you know, he and I were having these discussions and it, it was all triggered by the, the, the false story about him interviewing for the national team, which when it was reported was not true. He eventually did interview, but it was not till after that. Um, but nonetheless, it, I think even I, who had actually been talking to him about this concept, was shocked when it actually happened, and he headed off the cello. So let's let's put a bow on Oscar Preha's time in Dallas. Dan, for you, where do you put Oscar, and what are your thoughts on Oscar in the in the grinder context? Um, I mean, I mean, you, a legend in every sense, right? Uh, he he erased a lot of the bad memories of of Chalice's tenure. Um, you know, obviously from, from establishing the Academy in the first place, uh, you know, really brought it through to a place where we are now seeing the benefit of the Paxton Pomacols and the Jesus Ferreras. Um, you know, I think his, 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 uh, playoff run a bit ropey, but, uh, you know, now that they're in that one legged playoff, I would love to have seen how he'd have gotten with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and we know he had to deal with greater confines than most clubs, um, particularly most clubs that were challenging as consistently as FC Dallas was. You know? Yeah, he um, and I specifically lamented and talked about many times the lack of a real goal scoring nine. That he never got somebody to fill that role when he was here. And I remember talking to him and, and Fernando Clavio so much, and they were saying, you know. It, everything was always waiting on a guy's contract. It was, yeah, this guy's contract's going to expire. This guy is going to be at a place where his club will sell him. And everything was always like six months down the line or a year down the line. And and we're in a, you know, we're in a sport where things can change in an instant. So it was, it was always rough that 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 was the position that they were put in um, to to kind of have to chase the dream as such. Um, which I mean, we're still kind of seeing. That's that's what Frank O'Hara is. Yeah, two years uh, later, right? Instead of buying him at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Well, 2019 uh, is the craziest off season heading into 2019, I think, in club history. And it may not seem like it in hindsight, but I'll lay out why it's crazy in hindsight. To me, it's baffling. Uh, before Lucci is hired, well before Lucci is hired, FC Dallas starts making moves. Right now, you would assume that the club's technical director is doing these things, but Fernando Calvillo, you remember, had taken a leave of absence back in September of 2018, and so basically Luis Muzi, who was his assistant, is taking over. But on December 18th, Muzi's announced as Orlando City's uh, new technical director. So, at which point did he know he was leaving? And there were still rumors and reports to this day that he was effectively doing both teams' jobs at the same time in the latter parts of 2018. So basically, you come out of 2018 and there's a committee essentially made up of Muzi, Dan Hunt, uh, Luchi Gonzalez as the academy director at the time, technically, Marco Ferruzzi basically as the first team coaching staff representative, Chris Hayden's involved in this discussion, who's the VP of Youth and the Academy Director. So those guys are all basically making decisions on the roster uh, for 2019, all before Lucci is actually eventually hired on December 12th, I think it is, that he is eventually hired. So 
that's a weird setup and a weird situation for this season as the club is making some big, huge personnel decisions, right? Maynard Figueroa's contract's not picked up. Roel Lamont's contract's not picked up. Tasho Akindeli is traded to Orlando. So did Muzi trade Tasho to himself in Orlando? You have to wonder. Maxi yeah. Rudy is traded to Montreal. Victor Lowe is traded to FC Cincinnati. And all of that happens before Lucci's uh, announced on December 15th, 16th. Here's where I wrote it down, December 16th. So what is going on? I mean, who's in charge and who's making all these decisions? Well, it was weird because, I mean, we'd, we'd spoken, we'd both spoken to him and, and heard about this plan that uh, Fernando and, and Oscar had put together with, with Moosey. Yeah. Uh, and yet, you know, Oscar is at this point in Tijuana. Fernando was you know, unfortunately winding down. Um, and and Moosey is 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 shopping the next gig and it's you know and little do we know we're going for this plan on on oscar Pereira's four two three one counter-attack but we're also we're going to transition to uh to to lucio gonzalez a star which you know it's not hugely different but it's it's got some significant changes and uh you know there was there was even another wrinkle um i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm going to jump the gun here but you you're going to talk about uh, Stanek Andrasek, Cobra. Yeah. Arriving. Arrivals are I next, asked, yeah. <laughs> and, and I asked uh, Marco Ferrucci about him. I was like, hey, where did where did you guys see him? Because, you know, a guy, a Czech, a 30-year-old Czech player playing in the Polish league is not something you typically think, yes, we will look for that. And he was like, oh, MLS told us about him. They yeah. want to get more Eastern European guys. That's why... Portland just signed a, a goalkeeper from some Eastern European company, like Latvia or somewhere like that. And so I'm like, now he also mentioned that he did go over there to, to meet Andrasik. So I assume he's scouted him in person, but it's just kind of, it's bizarre, right? Your, your scouting network is seemingly starting with the league itself. It, it seems yeah. very 1996. Well, MLS, a lot of people don't know that MLS has this sort of behind-the-scenes initiative to suggest and offer players to their teams in the last year or two, I'm not exactly sure, from countries that are less often mined by MLS. And Cobra is one of these guys and there definitely is this, it's not just FC Dallas that's done this, and it's not just with FC Dallas that they've offered these players. It's a real thing. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, within days of the Lucci announcement, and who knows when he's actually making decisions. They announced it on December 15th, but who who knows when they, I mean, for all we know, as soon as the day Oscar resigns, they actually make Lucci the de facto guy despite the fact they're talking about interviews and Todd Ramos is involved or not and who knows what's going on but nonetheless within days of Lucci's announcement they announced Cobra coming in they announced Brisson coming in again an interesting one because the eventual technical director Andrew Zanata comes here is the one who sells them Brisson from um, Gremio <laughs> and, and then Brian Acosta is announced in January again a player that Oscar and Clavio had been trying to get for like two years uh, all of which happens before uh, the after Muzi has left, but before the new 2D announced, Andres Zanata is announced on January 30th. 
So again, it's hard to really know who's in charge of all this stuff, uh, other than I guess obviously Lucci and and, and Marco for uh, for Ruzi, basically. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I remember like uh, us and Peter were kind of like, is this a weird cowboy situation? Is are the owners making yeah. Dan Hunt might be like, doing it. sporting decisions because that's a frightening prospect. I it mean, is. yeah, we know. Clark, uh, you know, Clark was uh, quite the the player in his day, captain captain in SMU, but still, um, to 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 have the Hunt brothers uh, making that significant a decision, and not, you know, people who get paid to make soccer decisions is is kind of a weird prospect. Yeah, let's talk about Cobra too, because. Honestly, this is one of the oh most bizarre seasons from an individual player I've ever seen because within the, the first session that I go and watch where he's training, within five minutes, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap, this dude is terrible. And I, but I swore to myself, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to give him a chance. I'm going to watch him for a couple of weeks. And I went and watched him, and I watched him train, and I watched him scrimmage, and he was terrible. And we watch. <laughs> We watched the whole season, and for seven months, the guy is a complete worthless bust. And I'm talking about the minutes he's getting. I'm talking about training. He just he has nothing to offer this team. And now I will give him 100% full credit because he never quit, and Lucci never quit on him. And I certainly had. And Lucci kept working with him, and Lucci kept giving him instructions and said, here's what you're not doing. you got to do this and this and this. If you do these three things then I will let you play. And Cobra has even himself said, I was terrible. And I finally listened to the coach and I finally did what he asked. And then bam, eight goals in 10 games. He becomes one of the most charismatic stars in the shortest span I have ever seen a guy have in a single season. It is unbelievable. It was so weird. I mean, obviously we got, we both personally got a lot of, um, like back from from fans who because we were reporting what we saw this he was guy is, garbage yeah he's technically terrible yeah yada 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 coaches are telling us he's a bust and they don't really know how this came to be and yeah like you say they tried to sell in, him yeah 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 um, yeah to the uh one of norwegian clubs wasn't it? yeah but um they tried to loan him out as well i think yeah but you know obviously he puts the work in. He listens to the coaches. He gets his heads down. He makes his minutes count. Everything looks good. You know, I mean, I still want to see him do it consistently in away games. He's still yeah, on only the road, scored yeah. in yeah. one away game. Well, the fact um, that they've gone after another striker tells you how much confidence there is. But nonetheless, the guy's been I doing mean, the business. Harris still the one that got away for Dan Hunt. So I mean, yeah. you know, either way, that's a that's a great opportunity that presents itself. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so funny because like we, it's kind of the weird thing that people don't don't really get to see is that we might hammer someone for like playing badly or training badly. That doesn't mean it's like a personal thing. We talk to these guys, and Cobra yeah. is one of the nicest guys. He. You know, he was one of the few that had a weird thing about, and I still do as a, someone who's not American, locker room access. Um, you know, he's pretty stern on that one, but, he, you know, nice, such a nice guy. 
yeah. you, you you want him to succeed and it's like it's almost painful when you don't see him succeed sometimes yeah the, the character that you see on the instagram or on the little video clips that's him around the clock he really is just like that he's so much fun to be around he's such a character and and i'm I'm glad that he's performing at a high level and I'm glad he's back into his national team. And I hope that Franco Hart doesn't crush all that stuff. I'd like to see both of them producing and playing well. So, you know, uh, I wish him the best, but uh, honestly, one of the craziest seasons in 2019 that I've ever seen from a single player in terms of being as so completely utterly worthless. It was almost like a new midseason signing really it was. Yeah. Yeah. The way it changed. All right, so 2019 is a, is a good draft year as well. We get Johnny Nelson, who might end up being one of the steals of that draft if if it weren't for Ryan Hongs that having one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. We'll come back to that. And Colin Montgomery, who I have super, super high hopes for. Uh, it's also a good homegrown haul with Edwin Cerrillo, Dante Seeley, and Ricardo Pepe, who first signs with North Texas, but eventually joins FC Dallas as a, as a homegrown. This is back to the FC Dallas ways of doing business. And really, 2019, Dan... We have to call this, I think, the year of the homegrown, don't we? I mean, Jesus Ferrer leads the club with eight goals and six assists. Paxton Pomichol has a breakout season and probably would have been FC Dallas MVP if he would have managed to be a little healthier over the back half of the year. Um, Brandon, once uh, some changes happen in the roster, which we'll come down to later why this happens, but Brandon Cervania becomes a starter and has an amazing second half of the season. Edwin Cerrillo had a great start of the season and then had his season derailed by some bad performances with the U-20s. We see Brian Reynolds break through with some playing time. We see Thomas Reynolds, Roberts get like seven starts. Reggie is still Reggie. So really, 2019, season of the homegrown. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Edwin Cerrillo was nailed on Rookie of the Year up until that under-20 World Cup. Yeah. And then to have Savania, another homegrown, just swoop in and take over, it's, you know, yeah, I mean... It's, it's fantastic, and uh, you know I've missed uh, I've missed this so much. Thomas Roberts. Thomas Roberts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The year of the homegrown is is perfect uh, because you know it was we talked about we talked about 2018 more so as it, but 2019 continued. You know, you've got older guys. You've got the uh, you you've got the Cobras and. You know, to some degree, Brian Acosta, um, yeah. who you bring in as an as an experienced player, and then they've got home grounds outshining them. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, my good friend Mike Renshaw always says, and I think he's probably stolen this quote from many people. But um, if they're good enough, they're old enough. Uh, is the famous one said by the Dutch coach? And the follow up that Renshaw always said to me was, "Soccer's a young man's game." It's soccer is made for people to 18, 19, 20 years to be the stars. Um, and I think it's true. And this club is showing that it's true. And, and if you're trying to make a sustainable long-term club on a budget, and let's be clear, this is the hunt. So it's a budget. If you're trying to make a sustainable winning team, this is how you do it is with young homegrowns and the best Academy in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, except for when you play New York Red Bulls in a weird We'll get back Three to one that. loss. <laughs> uh, All right, but, that brings me yeah. to the most and, shocking. And go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, and and the good thing with having those younger players, you know, they've all grown up with Lucci. Um, we we're gonna obviously talk about Lucci ball and the adaptation, and that you know, as younger players who aren't so set in the ways, they have a much easier path to adapt to that. That brings me, Dan, to the most shocking mid-season signing I've ever seen. Shocking in a bad way. 
And that is uh, our good friend, Edwin Jossi. Now, on paper, this seems like it might be a legitimate signing. But I'm going to be polite and just say that it didn't work out so much. He has a couple of walkabout sub-performances. And then he gets this all-important first start down in Orlando when the team really needs him to step up. And as near as we can tell, and this is hard to prove, but as near as we can tell, he basically quits after 20 minutes of this of the insane Orlando Heat, I will grant you, and then proceeds to fake an injury to get out of the game. Now, can we prove that's what happened? No, but I think if any, I will challenge anyone that thinks that it isn't what happened to watch the tape and tell me what you see happen. That's what I see happen. I've never seen anything like this. He makes one token sub appearance and then never plays again. And I guarantee you that if you got a coach to talk about it, the coaches would tell you that that dude quit and, and faked an injury to get out of the game. Because I mean, two days later, that. he's back in training and looks great in training again. Yeah, it, it was weird. It was. I mean, I remember us talking to Lucci after training and... You know, Lucci, Lucci doesn't, if he doesn't want to talk about something and the Orlando plan is the perfect example, he kind of steps around things and talks about challenges and accepting them and embracing them, you know, in a roundabout way. Um, when it came to Jassy, it was just, yeah, yeah, never seen that before. And he's magically better today, though. Yeah, <laughs> he looks fine now. <laughs> Yeah. And then it was kind of funny because he's then trying to create this narrative. Uh, there's there's some Ghanaian publications, and he's trying to create this narrative that he wasn't getting the chances from Dallas, and that he chose to to go back to uh, CSK Sofia. It's like nah, no, nah, he, no. He, he quit. Yeah, and he didn't. And then he was kind of kicked out of training after that. Yeah. Uh, maybe he underestimated how hot it is here. It's entirely possible. That humidity in Orlando is no joke. I, it is no joke. I will agree you that. I you, don't envy those players team, playing on it. Uh, you can't quit on a team, though. Certainly can't fake an injury. That's even worse. All right, so the other crazy piece of personal insanity we have to talk about is a guy that we haven't talked about much yet because, honestly, he has never had any impact. But nonetheless, Pablo Orangis who had been seen as the Mauro Diaz's replacement, um, but had never done anything. That's why we haven't talked about him until now. <laughs> he basically says, I want to go home. And uh, FC Dallas arranges a loan for him back to Union Española, and now he's done a second loan to Ude Chile. Uh, but no, this is another player that seems like it might have quality when he came in, but never works out, never has any impact. Uh, and again in a different way, effectively quits on the team. And and for me, I'm quite confident this is a player that you'll never see him come back because when you quit on a team, a coach does not want you back. Even if it's a different kind of quit, but it's still a quit, is it not? Yeah, no, it definitely is. It, it was a weird situation. Uh, when he came in, you know, they wanted to... They wanted to try and bring him in gradually and not, not try and overstress his body. But then he's not taking instruction in training. He's moody. He's sulky. He wants to be the star because he's been the big fish in this tiny, tiny puddle. And then, you know, he's not he's not getting the games. He sulks even more. He gets, you know, he gets a start in a friendly and gets sent off after 10 minutes. Or Oh, sorry. He gets told he's going to get sent off after 10 minutes and then takes a guy out a couple of minutes later and does get sent off. <laughs> um, well, the one thing I'll say in his defense is the Lucci system doesn't use a pure 10. So he is out of sorts for the system, but uh, nonetheless, it's not, 
you know. I mean, if if you're paid to do a job, you you adapt to do it, right? right. I mean, right. we've we've all had to adapt in some way with the whole coronavirus with our jobs. Um, you know, I mean, us on Zoom calls with FC Dallas staff every day, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of rumors about he about having kids in Chile that he wanted to be closer to, and then fair enough. Uh, the Chilean media saying, "Yeah, yeah, um, everyone wants him, but no one can afford him." Um, so, hence the loans, which will run until his contract runs out, and it will be another Anibal Shala. Yeah, the one thing I will say in the bigger context is I remember when Chile used to be a much better league than MLS, and now it's most definitely not, I think. Anyway, that's a side note. The Open Cup is uh, poor again in 2019 after beating Oklahoma City. Uh, Dallas loses to USL side New Mexico United, which has got a nice little fan base going there. They're doing good things, but nonetheless, you should beat them. The only positive out of this game is we get to see Ricardo Pepe play with FC Dallas, which is exciting and is a precursor. To his being a homegrown signing. Yeah. The other 2019 shout out we need to give out is to Ryan Hollingshead, who, as we mentioned, Johnny Nelson was going is on his way to being a steel pick of the draft and looks fantastic with a bright future. But Ryan Hollingshead has what I think is unquestionably the best left back season in club history. And we've had some good left backs around here, but this season is six goals and three assists out of the back spot. And that only sort of tells you a little bit about how good his season was. Yeah, I mean, he'd filled in at left back before. Uh, you obviously the twenty sixteen season, um, but he was never a good left back. He was a a good utility player. A utility player is a really offensive term. I'm not going to say that. A good player who can play in many positions, with many tools, who made it kind of work. What we saw in twenty nineteen is Ryan Hollins had become a good left back. He got the defensive side of it. He balanced it well with the attacking side, which was you know less as a natural winger was his, uh, you know, was his wheelhouse anyway. Um, but, but it was good to see him get those defensive tendencies, not leave the defense exposed, not leave the defensive midfielders dragged over. And, and it definitely helped to, to balance things out, especially as, as Dallas kind of went into that four, three, three Lucci ball with the, you know, hopefully single pivot. Yeah. Speaking of single pivots, the final player move of the year comes uh, when Carlos Grezzo jumps to FC Augsburg, yeah, which is a German club. Now, honestly, this one's not a surprise. I had actually predicting since the middle of 2018 that the Grezzo would be leaving over the winter um, or in this next summer window, which is when it happens. So um, one of the best signings in terms of pure value to the team that FC Dallas has ever made. And I'm pretty sure they made some money on this by the time they finally moved him, but a great underheralded player that had a terrific run here in Dallas. And I have no complaints about him both coming in and his departure. He was class the whole time and a great player the whole time. Yeah. Great, great locker room presence. Very classy player. Um, you know, not an ego. Yeah. Just I mean, Oscar, Oscar and Lucci both, you know, talk about a, sort of these leadership pieces and Grezzo was the essentially Spanish Hispanic captain of the team. Um, in many ways, despite the fact he was so young. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the 2019 season, um, you know, Matt Hedges has obviously been a long-term captain. Um, Reto puts the armband on, on sorry, not Reto. Lucci puts the armband on Reto. And, you know, I was like, so what's what's happening? Is it like a co-captain situation? He said, actually, I've got three captains, and the third is Grosso. 
Yeah. So getting into the season a little bit, Lucci's team is quite young, uh, and they're doing the conversion to Lucci ball. So it's a little bit up and down. When you have a young team this young, uh, it's very up and down. So you're seeing a lot of big wins and a lot of big losses. Um, the only one, the one that really sticks in the craw is the one you brought up earlier, which is the 3-1 home loss to New York when the Red Bulls played basically, not just basically, they literally played a 100% reserve lineup, about half of which was made up of guys from Red Bulls too. I mean, it was it was like that game in uh, in Seattle when uh, Dallas a, a few years ago. Dallas had beat San Jose on the road. They had Seattle in midweek, and then they had Chicago at the weekend. And Oscar put out made seven changes, and Brad was it Brad Friedel or Casey yeah, Keller? disrespectful or whatever. It was. So disrespectful, <laughs> yeah. you know. And they got blown out five 0 They were supposed to. It was a yeah. it was a throwaway game. Yeah. This is what you expect, and you're like, oh wow, yeah, that's going to be a really easy win. They lose three one. Yeah. That was one of the darkest moments in Lucci's. And this was early enough in the season that we were really questioning what was going on. The the darkest moment was... Uh, so the uh, Chicago away game I was at, and I mentioned it to Lucci, and he apologized to me profusely. <laughs> to you personally? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. Well, on the opposite upside of those losses, there are wins like 4-2 at RSL, 5-3 over Minnesota, 5-1 over Houston and 6-0 over Sporting Kansas City to finish the season and squeak into the playoffs. So this is what we mean about uh, up big wins and big losses. And they and they end up, uh, you can hit on any of those games if you want to specifically, but they end up finishing 13-12-9, which is 7th in the West, which as you and I and Peter on this podcast predicted would be what would happen, the bottom of the playoffs in the West. They have 54 goals for, which is the second most in club history. 54 goals for, that's incredible. But they also have a really high 46 goals against. Again, lots of big wins and lots of big losses. Young team, up and down, new system, new coach, young coach. All symptoms of the team being exactly what it is. A bunch of babies learning how to play professionally and compete at a high level. Definitely. And you only have to look at Lucci's influences as well. Uh, Guys like Jurgen Klopp. You know, guys that are more likely to win a five-four than a one-nil. Uh, you know, it's a, it was it was exactly what you you should have expected to see. Uh, FC Dallas giving up goals and scoring goals in abundance. Yeah, I I feel like this is when this trend is going to continue. When you play Lucci ball and when you have a lot of possession, you know, and when you have trying to play a single pivot. You know, there are going to be often games where you're going to score a lot of goals, and then you, but you might also have games where you get blown out. And it does happen, and it did happen last year quite a bit. So in the playoffs, FC Dallas draws the Sanders again in the knockout. Uh, and despite the fact that Dallas loses this game, this is a really, really enjoyable, remarkable game. I know it sounds funny to say that, that you enjoyed a loss and that it was a fantastic game and a loss, but it really was, I felt. I mean, FC Dallas... Uh, you know, 40 minutes in is dead and buried. The game's over. They're out of it. But yet, miraculously, they're not. And they fight their way back in. And they, and despite the fact that Jordan Morris has a hat trick, they still manage to claw back. Uh, and it really was a team that they pushed the Seattle team, who was a much better team. Uh, they pushed them to the limit uh, and show, I think, some of the potential FC Dallas has going forward. Yeah, I mean, 2 0 down in Seattle, that's a really familiar story, and it never has a happy ending. Um, to, to take them to extra time and, and to have the goals kind of spread about across the pitch. Reggie had one, I think Matt Hedges had one. 
Brian Acosta would have had one if Santiago Mascara passed him an open space, but he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, pass the damn ball. Yeah, yeah. that was so painful. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was it was a it was a genuinely thrilling game, and it's. I mean, I think it's a better. It was a better overall game than the home win over Seattle a few years ago that everyone clamors over. Um, yeah. You know, a great game's a great game whether you win it or lose it. Yeah, And that was a great game. And uh, against, yeah, again, the eventual champions. Yeah. And and Dallas's current bogey team, playoff bogey team, Seattle Sounders. Um, the bogey team's whoever wins MLS Cup. It's always <laughs> yeah, Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Dallas has always got so many. There's so many stories about Dallas in the playoffs and getting tripped up, and so many what ifs, and so many. It's just, you know that's eventually you got to power through one of those. What's that's one of Lucci's big hallmarks, right? Let's change the history of this club. Let's power through these hiccups and get it done. Yeah, and even things like you know he doesn't have. He's he's kind of a realist. Uh, you know, like this year he's talking about we just we want a home playoff game. Well, he knows about the cycle as much as anybody. Next. He knows he's building towards a year or two further down the road than this. Oh, absolutely! It's it's just it's great to to temper reasonable expectations to to not go. You know, you know, um, when Dan Hunt talks about I want to win MLS Cup with a homegrown eleven, you're like, okay, let's maybe get to another MLS Cup with any team first. Then, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, baby steps. You know, and and Lucci is definitely a, a realist in that. And I mean, I know fans appreciate it. I know media appreciates it. I hope the players appreciate it. Yeah, I hope they do too. Well, that uh, Dan, that wraps up our 2015 through 2019 history jaunt. I don't think there's there any reason to go into the 2020. Uh, you know, that's the current season that we talk about when they're playing. We've talked about the death already this year on this podcast. You know, this this podcast is 2015 to 2019. We've reached that point. So, Dan, thank you for uh, coming on and, and rapping about uh, the old days with me. Thanks. I, I really look forward to when we get to do these about the, the Orlando thing or, you know, times where we just get to whisper Thomas Roberts over and over again just for fun. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's hope for the future, and hopefully, we're a month away from doing regular podcasts about maybe this Orlando bubble if they pull it off, or whatever it is they eventually get going. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast or any of our other coverage that we do on the blog or on Twitter or on, or on Facebook on YouTube, uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/thirddegree. We don't break any news there, but we provide I provide a little more in-depth insider little chats, little discussions for everybody. Uh, hopefully you'll find it worthwhile to subscribe and support us and hopefully you find it what we do ordinarily worthwhile and worth your support so thanks again for tuning in thanks for supporting the club thanks again dan this has been uh, third degree the podcast we hope you enjoyed it and we will talk again soon